Say hello. You're listening to Achimowin on CJSR 88.5 FM, located in the city of Edmonton, which is on Treaty 6 territory, as well as Region 4 of the Métis Nation. This is a traditional gathering place for the Cree, Blackfoot, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and others to whom we pay our respects and thanks. My name is Shayna Giles, and I'm of Métis descent. My pronouns are they, them. This week's episode of Achimowin is a part two to last week's episode, so if you missed that, you'll also be missing quite a bit of context and information. You can find last week's episode and all previous episodes of Achimowin on the CJSR FM SoundCloud page in the Achimowin playlist. This week, we're continuing on with our story about the relationship between the communities of Alexander First Nation and Morinville in the wake of the St. John Baptiste Church fire on June 30th. Inflammatory statements were made by Alberta Premier Jason Kenney that firmly placed the blame on Indigenous people, and he called the fire a hate-motivated act of violence. This statement was made the morning of the fire. We did not then, and do not now, know what caused the fire. His statement was based on conjecture and racism. I grew up in Sturgeon County. When we were taught about Indigenous people, the impression was given that these were the people that used to live here. And when you don't challenge those beliefs, when you don't correct those misrepresentations of history, they are passed on to your children. This is not to say that everyone in Sturgeon County is racist. Far from it. Many folks here are Indigenous themselves, or have learned the history of colonialism and stand in solidarity with us. But given my own experiences growing up in Sturgeon County, I wanted to learn more about how this was affecting people from Alexander First Nation, which borders Sturgeon, and like most communities in the area, whose residents rely on Morinville for groceries and necessities. I figured that with Kenny's statements, and with the racism I'd witnessed myself when I went on Sunday, the chances of that racism being isolated to just the scene of the fire were slim. So I spoke with Brooks Arcan Paul, about some things I'd seen on his Twitter. We heard a bit from him last week about his reaction to Jason Kenney's comments and a bit of the history of Alexander First Nation. And so for this episode, we'll be focusing more on my interview with him than on the background of the communities. Just before we begin, though, I would like to warn you that this episode contains mentions of residential schools and the discoveries that have been made there. We also discuss racism against Indigenous people in this episode, so please tune out if you think this might bring up negative emotions. So here's Brooks Arcan Paul introducing himself and speaking about his work and his reaction to Jason Kenney's inflammatory comments. Good afternoon. My name is Brooks Arcan Paul. I'm from the Alexander First Nation, which is in Treaty 6 territory here in present-day Alberta. Um, my traditional name is Sipsis, which means Little River in Nehiawian, my people's language, the Cree people. I am from the Alexander First Nation, like I mentioned. I grew up there for about 23 years of my life. I did my undergrad while living on the nation. And then I moved off for my last year and then moved away for my law school career. And now I'm a practicing lawyer. I'm in-house legal counsel to the Alexander First Nation. I'm also the vice president of the Indigenous Bar Association. So a lot of my work uh, surrounds and, and involves advocacy. And this is no different, uh, this experience right now that we're talking about. I don't like saying that racism is a passion project because it shouldn't be a passion project, uh, but because I have an obligation and my, my advocacy efforts are really focused on equity and making sure that Indigenous folks are 
are properly represented and properly advocated for because racism is one of those difficult topics that no one really wants to touch with 10 foot pole. But if we don't have those conversations, we're not going to be able to surmount them and, and deal, do away with them. Because right now you see our, our politicians on, on all aisles and in all legislatures are not having that conversation. They're actually doing quite the opposite. And with Jason Kenney just recently coming to the church the day after it burnt and effectively putting a target on my nation's back and the people that occupy and live in Mormonville, the Indigenous community there, I think it's very unfair um, that he would even continue these talking points after the fact. I think he just recently said that some of the church vandalisms uh, that were happening outside of Mournville and outside of our jurisdiction, he was painting that with the same brush, blaming Indigenous folks for the pain that's been caused upon us over uh, over a century of, uh, of racist legislation and terrible evil schools that took our children away and where some never even returned to our homes. So I mean, like, that's why I say it's not a passion project of mine. It's a necessity. I have no option but to talk about this because no one is doing it justice. You grew up in Alexander First Nation. What was that experience like growing up in a community so close to Morinville where this this church fire happened? Yeah, so I grew up on the nation. Um, I did my kindergarten at the school Kapotagawa Education Center. And then I went to K-5 at the French Immersion Kindergarten, which is just behind uh, St. Jean-Baptiste. And I spent my entire childhood and my teenage years both learning at uh, J.P. Vanier, J.H. Uh, Primo, uh, MCHS, Marvel Community High, and I've worked at various locations throughout the town. And I would say that a lot of my upbringing was split between both living on the nation and also hanging out with my friends. I actually had one of my best friends lived in the city and we would bike around town all the time. And all of my other best friends, as I grew up, um, we always would hang around town. And my experience with Mormville was not the rosiest. A lot of internalized racism, a lot of that casual racism uh, that we see, that we saw in Mournville uh, at, the, at the rally on Sunday morning, it hasn't gone away. Uh, I thought that we were doing better. I think that we are doing better. I think Mournville as on, on a whole is trying to at least deal with it. And the amount of people that have reached out to me since putting out my, my social media posts have been fairly positive. A lot of them have been a lot of teachers from the school, a lot of concerned community members that want to show solidarity with the Indigenous folks, but also identify that this is a tragedy. My experiences in Mournville and with St. Jean-Baptiste, the, the, the church itself, are tremendous. I did my first communion there. I did my confirmation. I was an altar boy for Father Bob back in the day. We went to all of our big masses there, Christmas, Easter. And I have very fond memories of that church. And when I saw it go up in flames, all of the feelings rushed back. And my my very difficult relationship that I have with the church now, mostly because I can't be a full Catholic because I can't get married through the church, um, is, is really a big burden for me. And it, it's very difficult. I have a very difficult relationship with the Roman Catholic Church, mostly because they don't identify me because of my sexual orientation. But at the same time, my memories of, of being in there and being in the area, like 
even our schools were so intertwined with the church. We would go for mass. We would go on Ash Wednesday and get our little ashes as little babies when we were there. And I know that we have a difficult conversation right now in front of us and with the church doubling down and digging its heels in the sand, particularly the Pope and the bishops across Canada, where they're not identifying and they're actually further placing blame on Indigenous peoples for the for the vandalism and the arson that's happening at these churches, my, my relationship becomes even more complicated. But when it comes down to it, my relationship with Mournville has been one of love. Uh, I mean, albeit it's been very difficult because of that racism and the casual racism that you're constantly faced with. But I believe Mournville is better than that. Those few instances of hate aren't what Mournville is. And in this circumstance, if, if the church burning and the investigation finds that it is an Indigenous person, it's not, that doesn't speak for all of Alexander because we worship there. We actually have our own church on the nation. And if you think about it, if somebody was really intent on sending a message to the church, why wouldn't they start in our own backyard? Why would they do something with our neighbors? It just, it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I'm now I'm getting to be too tangential and I'm not, I don't want to interfere with the investigation, but my relationship with Mournville is very complicated, but it's one always rooted in in fond memories because that's where I was raised and grew up. You mentioned a bit earlier about what you've been hearing from community members after the church burned. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's a mix of both, well, mostly what I'm hearing from, from my people, from my uh, nation members. We're hearing from, from people on the street, from their colleagues that Indians aren't welcome in the town right now, or Indians shouldn't be in the town right now. And I'm sorry for using that term, but that's what's been said. And as we can all appreciate, that term is, yes, it's a legal term, but it is very discriminatory. It is very racist, to use that term. And when I'm hearing that and coupling it with experiences that I've been told uh, firsthand, that at businesses, there are people uh, and I'm not going to name the names because I, I don't know if there's active complaints uh, lodged against them. But I know that in certain businesses in the town, when Indigenous folks from my community, when First Nations people, my people, Nehiawak, go to the town uh, and to access these services, they're being confronted with people lambasting them for the smallest mistake. So in this one example, somebody was grabbed a broken tray for drinks at a, at a convenience store. And then the tray broke and all of the, the Slurpees fell. It was a hot day. Like we were trying to cool down. People were trying to cool down the best way they can, getting cold drinks. And the paper tray that was through no fault of, of the person's own, my, one of my community members, it fell on the ground and the uh, worker there had lambasted the patrons, the Indigenous, the First Nations, the Nehiawak patrons with these terrible remarks saying, you you guys dirty everything up you can't you can't do anything good and just went on a racist tirade against the people and then on top of that i'm also seeing that people are experiencing blatant racism right in front of the cops too and i'm not surprised that you had gone through that experience in mournville at the vigil um at the at solidarity manifestation that there's overtly racist things being said that would just be overlooked that wouldn't be actioned upon they would people would just say oh yeah okay well that's that's just what's happening you're they're allowed to chastise and call out indigenous people for this 
pain that they're feeling. But on the other hand, I don't want this to be painted as if it's all bad because I'm getting comments from community members from Mournville that are trying to be better allies and to stand in solidarity with us because they know we just spent an entire month mourning thousands of babies that were just found across the country. And then for this to happen and it for, to, for it to switch on a dime, it was really nice and very heartwarming to still see that people were wanting to stand in solidarity and understood the pain, even if this, this, this incident was arson by an Indigenous person, they were still willing to stand beside us and talk and be with us as allies. Because if you put your mind to it, the findings this past month are not surprising. We've known, the Indigenous folks have known about this for decades, if not all of our lives. We've known that these graves existed and we have 39,000 still to go to find. And when you have folks that are still willing to stand beside you, despite all of this pain, despite all of this uncertainty, despite these difficulties and, and add on top of that, a friggin' pandemic, like it speaks volumes that Bourneville is trying to do better. There are members in the community that want to do better, that are willing to put in the work and we need to hold those folks together with us and, and, and allow them to use their voice to also help alongside us, not to speak for us, but to work alongside us. You're listening to a Chimowin on CJSR. I'm Shayna Giles, speaking with Brooks Arcan Paul about his personal ties to Morinville and the church there and racism against Indigenous people, both before and since the St. John Baptiste church fire on June 30th. When I went to Morinville yesterday, I noticed that beneath the rubble on the front steps of the church, people had left stuffed animals and, and shoes in memorial of the children. It was a very striking visual to see that beneath the rubble of the church. What can you say about that sort of juxtaposition? Well, it shows exactly what I was I was just mentioning, that our community does care. Mournville does care. And our, our nation, Alexander, is so intertwined with Mournville that our relationship is only getting better. I mean, contrast that with my experiences growing up. It is a world of difference. I get to, I've been to Mournville Community High to do presentations for the students there on reconciliation, on justice, on Indigenous rights in Canada, on Indigenous legal studies. And there's the real willingness there that I see to really help foster that relationship. And this is no different. And I don't think that that juxtaposition is really that striking. It really shows that the heart of the community is there, that people do care. And that despite this grieving that we're all doing for this, for this building, for this very inanimate object that has a lot of memories for us and for people in Mournville and, and certainly those in Alexander, that those shoes and the recognition that the pain that the residential school has caused is not overlooked in this, in this situation. That yes, this is a very sad and, and historic loss, but at the same time, folks are alive to the fact that, okay, a building can be rebuilt, but those babies' lives can't be returned. Their bodies are, have been laying there for so long and our families have been mourning those babies for our entire, for generations. And they're finally realizing, like, I, I really do feel like we're in a time where reconciliation and that truth that comes with it 
we can achieve what is needed to live together in harmony as treaty intended as relationships between non-Indigenous and Indigenous folks. So I, I think that that's what that juxtaposition means to me, that we are on the precipice of that change, but we need to continue working. We need to address this racism that we're facing. We need to talk about how the child welfare system still is taking our babies at a greater rate than the residential school system did, how babies are dying in care and not returning home, how we have a criminal justice system that takes those babies that were in the welfare system and just puts them into prisons, the prison pipeline. Like We need to understand that over-incarceration of our folks is just as bad as the residential school system, but we're not there yet. And that's, that's where it, I'm hopeful that this conversation will lead into these new conversations with Indigenous voices being centered so that we can actually explain how this affects us directly. So how have you been processing things since the fire happened? How's, how's it affected you and your family? Well, my family has been pretty okay about it. I think I'm pretty okay with about it. I think the only issue that I had was was the memories that have been lost from that fire. But we have complicated relationship with the church. And this past month has really highlighted that. And I've I personally have been distancing myself from the church since I would say since I started my undergrad. And I started to really become anti-religion, anti-church. And we're all of the same view. And I, I don't want my comments to be misconstrued as if I I condone the burning of the church, but I also don't think it, it needs as much concern as the loss of babies, the loss of our babies. And a lot of my family members haven't been as affected by the losing of these church, this church specifically, as they have the findings of the graves across Canada. And when the first accounts came out with the Kamloops to Sikwapmek, my grandma, my cookum, called me and was in tears because she saw her school on the TV. Seeing the accounts and hearing from colleagues and friends and family about how these graves are at every single school. So we have two schools nearby us, the Uville St. Albert School, the Edmonton Res- Indian Residential School, the site of the old Palmakers, and then the ones my cookum went to, Ermanskin, um, and then the ones my grandfathers went to, um, my Muslims and my grandpa, uh, Blue Quills out by St. Paul. We've been processing that a lot more than this church, and it's been very difficult. On Canada Day, I just, I couldn't control myself. I, I wept the entire afternoon because we have a complicated relationship with Canada and what these graves and what they're finding means has been so destructive and, and emotional and concerning to us because other people finally realize the pain that we felt and the pain that we continue to feel. And that trauma just comes to the front because my cookum even said that for her, it feels like the wounds are just being reopened. And she thought she had just dealt with it, but they just keep coming up. And I find it really difficult to know that the burning of a church could be more concerning to people than the findings of thousands upon thousands of babies that never made it home. And for me, I take a lot of power in the fact that I think the weekend before Cowessists found their 700 unmarked graves, I was doing Sundance. I was doing ceremony 
at the former Blue Quills residential school where my grandfathers went. And you could feel the power that was there. You could feel the, the hurt and the pain that the babies went through when they went there. And I just remember just coming home and, and feeling a sense of duty to help those children go home because they never got that in their, in their, in their lives. And it, it felt very gratifying. But when we think about this church burning, that settlers are more upset that it could be an Indigenous person burning it than they are that that Indigenous person might have experienced direct trauma. And this might have been a response of their trauma because of, they've been ignored for their entire life. It's just, it doesn't give me a lot of faith. It doesn't give me a lot of belief that perhaps we will get to the end of this. And then when you hear someone like Jason Kenney or the Grand Bishop or whatever he's called for Canada coming out and saying that residential school survivors and their supporters are the ones that are causing this arson or are the ones to blame for the the hate. And it, it just, dude, like, have you, do you not see that this has, this is what has caused this? Your state and your structure is the thing that had caused this? It just, it dumbfounds me. And it makes me really concerned that that narrative is going to shift to allow white supremacy and to embolden and empower folks to think that it's okay to continue this hatred and to perpetuate this racism that has caused so many, so much trauma and pain to my people over a church or a few churches. You obviously don't speak for the entire nation, but when it comes to concerns of racism, things like the Slurpee incident, is there anything you'd like to see happen to address that? Yeah, we need to have these conversations and they can't just be conversations that are one-sided. You have to include folks that are facing the racism. And I know it's a scary topic and the division of powers and the powers that be are very one-sided. So that conversation needs to be initiated and include and respect and have those parameters in place that can allow for that dialogue to happen on what exactly we're facing. Because it's not an easy topic to cover. And when we're talking about educating and, and trying to address it, we have to be able to be uncomfortable because these conversations are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable for people that might be inadvertently racist. It might be uncomfortable for folks that, you know, maybe don't speak in public forums regularly. And that we also have to make that space. So then that way they can share their experiences and say, look, this does happen because at the, right now, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And right now it's, it's mostly people that say, oh, racism doesn't exist. Oh, racism doesn't exist. But when it happens inadvertently or it's covert and it's not direct overt racism, it's not like somebody's yelling a slur on the street and it's more so in the, oh, well, we're not going to provide the service to you because you have a last name Arcant or you have the last name of the First Nation nearby. We have to have that conversation because people don't recognize that they are being racist and don't like being called out for being racist. So when we have those dialogues, we have to have the space that is, a, is conducive to good conversations, but that will actually address and have some concrete action items. So like, 
having some kind of ombudsperson to deal with it or having some kind of actual uh, task force that will deal with these things on an ongoing basis, not just one off because racism isn't going to go away overnight. It's not even going to go away in a lifetime. It's going to be a, a constant conversation that we need to have to be a better and just society that is equitable for everyone. That goes for Indigenous folks. It goes for Black folks. It goes for people of color. We have to be able to have the the safety nets in place to be able to have these conversations. Otherwise, it's just going to be lip service. And as you can see, with a very, quote, woke, unquote, prime minister that is even able to spout some racist things against Indigenous folks in connection to these churches, to the Mormon church burning specifically, we're not, we're not going to get there with progressive, uh, non, non, I'm just gonna say progressive white people. They're not going to save us. Like liberals are not going to save us. So we need to have those conversations and we need to be uncomfortable. We have to be okay with being uncomfortable. So Morinville has recently appointed two counselors to work with Chief Arcand from Alexander First Nation on the relationship between the two communities. What would you like to see come out of that? Well, I'd like to see more relationships between our leadership and their leadership. I think they do a pretty good job at in extending their their arm to us. And this is a good way of doing that. I know the other day there was a protester that went up to the Mormonville town office intending to speak on behalf of the nation. And for the nation, I obviously am not the spokesperson for the nation. I'm just a member and I happen to be in-house legal counsel, but I'm not speaking on their behalf. But as an as a nation member, I don't get to speak on behalf of the nation unless I'm appointed or unless the nation itself recognizes because we hold our interests collectively. We're a collective people and we look for the collective good. When it comes to this this committee, and I want to also acknowledge that my nation appointed two counselors as well, and I believe they're Kevin Arkan and Scott Bernstick to do this work as well. And I think it is a good extension of goodwill on both parties to recognize that we have to live together. And that's what treaty intended is that we live together in harmony. And I hope that this position remains, these two commission, or sorry, two committee members uh, stay on board and that that relationship and that dialogue continues. I hope it's not just in the face of these findings and that this idea that we have only a, a current issue to deal with, but that our issues are always going to be mutually intertwined and that we should have these dialogues ongoing forever as treaty intended. So I think it's a good first step. I would hope that the town council continues it uh, well beyond its expiry, if it does have an expiry, and that we do live together in harmony because Morville has been doing a lot of good work to include Alexander in all of its deliberations and, and extending goodwill to our leadership. Well, and I should also mention, I didn't say this in one of your earlier questions, but we spend a lot of money in Mournville as well. The town relies on our dollars just as much as we rely on their services. Is there anything you'd like to say to people who've experienced racist incidents like these after the church fire? Is there anything you'd like to say to people like that? Speak up, share your experiences. Don't be afraid to tell other people what's happened because you are deserve to be treated like a human being. And when racists feel emboldened to speak out, we need to be able to feel emboldened to speak out against it because we have children that are coming up after us. We have generations that will be coming after us. And if we don't address it today, we're going to leave them to deal with it in, in the future. So 
please don't be afraid. If you need to talk to me, you can contact me on social media. I'm S-I-P-I-Y-S-I-S on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, I'm Brooks Arkham Paul. You can email me through the Indigenous Bar Association, indigenousbar.ca. I'm more than happy to help you through this. If you're a community member, you know how to reach out to me. Please don't let this continue because to be the face of change and to address these very difficult issues, even if you don't feel like it is a big issue, it will be for our babies when they get to be adults. Can I can I make a mention too as well for the yeah. for the non-Indigenous people that may be spouting racism mm-hmm. or that may be witness to it? So for folks that witness this racism, don't be afraid to call your people out. We need you as an ally, as a, as a person that believes in equity and justice, call it out, address it. You don't have to be rude about it, but you, you have to at least acknowledge that what that person is saying is not good because without you standing up and standing with us this is going to be all on the backs of a BIPOC folks and for so long this conversation has been driven by us we need you to stand beside us as allies we don't need you to tell us this doesn't exist because we are telling you it exists we experience it directly we can no longer live like this and we need to live together in harmony as treaty intended and for you to be a good treaty partner and just to be a good person we need you to not stay silent anymore. This conversation needs to ha- be happening and we are going to have it whether you want to or not. So you might as well be on the right side of history. Use that privilege to your advantage. Yeah, exactly. Tap Well, thank you very much, Brooks, for agreeing to speak with me a bit about the impact on, on you, on Alexander, on Indigenous people and on Morinville. Yeah, thank you so much for extending the invite. I hope I did you justice. I think you've done yourself justice today, which is <laughs> which is a good thing. Thank you, Shane. So I hope that this episode gave a bit more insight into what's been happening in Morinville and area since the St. John Baptiste Church fire on June 30th. I know this might have been a difficult topic to discuss or to listen to, so I apologize for the difficult subject matter. That's it for this week's episode of Achimowan. Special thanks to Brooks Arcan Paul for speaking with me during this and last week's episode. I'm your host, Shayna Giles, and our theme song is Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. You can find this and every episode of Achimowan on our CJSR FM SoundCloud account in the Achimowan playlist. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. <laughs>